So we've come towards the end of the Vasa, only one week left. It's a good time to review the whole Vasa, how our practice has been going. The Vasa is a useful time to stay put in one place, put forth lots of effort, training in the Vinaya, meditating, contemplating. As we practice, much of our mental activity is associated with projecting into the future, planning, hoping, expecting, fueled by much craving and attachment. Really, the only thing we can truly know is our five candors in the present moment. We keep re-establishing awareness, coming back, can be aware of what's arising, passing away before us. But what will happen in the future is completely uncertain. Just mental formations, thinking, planning. The only real place of practice is our own body and mind. Right here, right now. Maybe there's also some longing for the past, memories based on previous activities, places, people. Again, these are just memories in the mind, no longer very substantial and subject to change. We can delude ourselves, adding to memories, creating something out of them, putting in facts and information that maybe wasn't there in the first place, <coughs> giving, in, giving importance to things. Remembering some things, forgetting others. So much of our practices are based, based around establishing mindfulness from moment to moment. Every day, using the way of training in the Vinaya, in the techniques of Dhamma, right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi, right view, 
you're training the mind to pay attention to the present moment, composing the mind, you're restraining our outward behavior. So we have enough presence of mind and then we can start to be more aware on a more refined level internally. However difficult it can be sometimes with our own karma, we have different moods, physical experiences and sensations, mental activity to deal with. We have to learn how to keep applying effort, paying attention to our meditation object, paying attention to our rules of training, ways of practice, and learning to apply that in different situations. In the Vasa is a good time, we're only in one place, we're not traveling. After Vasa often we move around a bit more, and do different things, so how do we practice in those situations? For lay people now they have mobile phone apps give you reminders to be mindful. They pop up either sound or images. As a bhikkhu we have to have those through our own ways of practice, ways of training, of mindfulness of the requisites, how we use them, how we eat, how we sleep, how much we eat, how much we sleep, how we talk, what we talk about, how much we talk, why do we talk. What behavior is appropriate, what behavior is not appropriate for a samana. Our rules of training are pointers to help point the mind, bring up mindfulness in everything we're doing, time and place, how we conduct ourselves. So we work on the outside and then bring the attention inside. If we put effort into guiding our external behavior, using the Vinaya and using the training and bringing up mindfulness. This makes the job of being mindful internally easier. And there's less complexity and less extreme emotions and problems in our external behavior or generated by external behavior. So then we can develop a more refined mindfulness internally. Can actually catch sense impressions as they arise. Sights, sounds, taste, smell, touch. 
can start to see craving arising and passing away. If we have enough mindfulness and continuity of mindfulness, keep referring back to the mind. It's like the center of everything. Even though craving is still something that's conditioned coming up, we can also observe it arising, passing away. We don't necessarily have to keep following it. We'll see it coming into all aspects of our life because our senses are active all the time. Greed, hatred, delusion are being stimulated all the time, whether more extreme or just in subtle ways. There's always something to be mindful of, to contemplate and to observe. There's always more to learn about our experience whether it's very exciting, interesting, very dull, boring, whether we feel peaceful or feel disturbed. It's all something that can become a basis for wise reflection. Keep learning, looking at cause and effect, cause and result in our daily experience. We keep our mind and our lifestyle fairly simple, relaxed. Then we can have a chance to actually catch and understand more deeply what kilesas is, what craving and attachment is, what ignorance that underlies it is, its nature, how it is, how it affects the mind. and see the mind drifting off into all kinds of different mental states and moods as we lose mindfulness. You can see the freedom as we gain, regain mindfulness, let things go, and the mind becomes stronger with more sustained mindfulness. We can appreciate that. We practice sitting and walking. You're bringing up a firmness of mind. Allows the mind to be grounded in experience without getting lost in our experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Not always just rushing towards the pleasant and seeking out more pleasant things, running away from the unpleasant. Especially the older you get, the harder it is to do that. As we get older, our physical form isn't so strong or healthy anymore. Maybe there's more pain, discomfort in the body that we just can't run away from or distract ourselves from and learning to be mindful with pain or discomfort rather than always reacting to it and running away from it. As we go through life, there'll always be challenges, things that 
we have to do part of our training, part of our monastic life. Life is because sometimes we have duties, jobs that we have to do, maybe there's aspects, parts of the life we don't particularly like. So the mind reacts. But if you if it's something you can't get away from, well maybe it's worth facing up to those things we don't particularly like and using them as a basis for seeing craving and then letting go of craving. Trying to develop more equanimity based on strong mindfulness in the present moment through these different experiences. And weather is a very good one, isn't it? We live in the forest, you have heat and cold all the time. Sometimes it's warm, sometimes not. Dry and wet. You get in the habit of being mindful of the sense contact around that. The heat, the cold, the different sensations. See how it affects the mind. And you can rise above it, be more aloof from just weather, external conditions, more aloof from the activities around us, whether there's a lot of people come to the monastery or just a few, there's a lot of food or just a little, a lot of busyness and activity or nothing much happening at all. Having enough mindfulness just to be aware of the different situations not reacting always with falling into liking and disliking. Maintaining sense restraint, mindfulness and contemplating and letting go of the craving and attachment that form, forms in the mind so quickly. Habitual reactions. Sometimes we have to push ourselves to practice in thing in ways that we wouldn't like to normally, wouldn't wouldn't seek to normally. Just being willing to sit longer when we're feeling tired or with some pain or discomfort, to walk longer, to do chores or different things that we may not feel inclined to do, but to make ourselves do them, to develop equanimity if they're the right thing to do, it's an appropriate activity. Just maintaining mindfulness and, and equanimity through that activity. Looking after things looking after the requisites, looking after the accommodation, cleaning and so on. You're all the great teachers, you notice how they put a lot of emphasis on this, because it's just how, our, how we interact with the world around us on a daily basis. If you're not paying attention to your requisites, your dwelling, the monastery, the buildings, the the way we live, then it's unlikely you're paying much attention to your mind. If you're, the place you live is all kind of messy or not looked after, 
Well, it's quite often that your mind is like that as well. People like to quote different occasions when Ajahn Chah was asked, people asked him very high, refined questions about the nature of jhana or apanasamati. Just bring them back to the present moment and say, well, maybe just concentrate on keeping the toilets clean to start with. If we can't clean a toilet behind us after we've used it, then we're unlikely to have the refined state of mind that will attain apana samadhi. It's this kind of approach that the monastic training is developing. In a very sense of being very thorough and mindful with all aspects of our life. Because the training encompasses all aspects of our life. And the Buddha didn't teach it so it's like something you do nine to five and then hang up your robes and go back to your kuti and watch TV or something. It's not like the lay life. We're bhikkhus all the time. We're training our mind all the time. So if, I have, if we have that awareness that we're always practicing, always training, it's not to make it as a burden, to feel pressured or burdened, but it's actually just to get that, the good habits established. So it doesn't matter whether it's morning, middle of the day, evening, night time. We're always a bhikkhu, we're always turning attention back to body, speech and mind, bhavana in the present moment. Taking responsibility for our practice and not always attributing our suffering to externals or blaming other people or the situations we're in. Coming back to look at suffering as a mental experience based on avicca, not knowing lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, ignorance. Pachaya Sankara, karma, karmic formations. Uh, the initial practice is always about abandoning the unwholesome karmic formations. You know, the coarse ones. The ones that bring us a lot of grief, a lot of suffering, the more extreme anger, lust, delusions. But then there's always something more refined to work on behind. You might achieve a sort of plateau in your practice where you are able to keep the Vinaya, follow the routine, practice as a bhikkhu. And it might seem on one level you've achieved a certain amount of contentment and that's good, and that's an attainment. But then behind the scenes more deeply there's obviously going to be some more subtle kinds of suffering there. There's still maybe subtle conceit, subtle attachment to views which prompt more proliferation, more craving and attachment. So if we're ever looking more deeply into our mind and how the conditioning process is affecting us, 
from day one that we're born right through to the end of our life, we're always going to be experiencing pleasant and unpleasant objects. Unless we keep establishing, refining mindfulness, we're still going to be getting caught into condition, the conditioning process. This will con pleasant, unpleasant conditions, craving conditions, attachment. Even as a bhikkhu, it's possible you, certain attachments can increase. It's not guaranteed that you'll always be letting go and thinning out your attachments. Some can increase, can have a sense of self-form around different aspects of the life practice. Maybe it's just simple sort of self-images around I'm a Anagarika, I'm a novice, I'm a new bhikkhu, I'm a bhikkhu who's been around a few years, I'm a majima bhikkhu, I'm a terror, I'm a teacher. Self-views can form all the time in our experience. I'm a bhikkhu who meditates, I'm a good meditator, I'm a bad meditator. On and on it goes. So there's ever more subtle levels and layers of attachment and self that we have to keep looking into. Ajahn Chah says if we understand the process and we get better at doing this and it actually becomes enjoyable, even sometimes looking at dukkha, looking at its effects, looking at its causes, how it happens, can be enjoyable, can become pleasurable because you're starting to understand the nature of reality. You're doing yourself some good. Yeah. That will also have its automatic effect to help others as well. You might say that's the aim of the practice, at least to get to that point where you can see the benefit of investigating dukkha, its cause, realizing its cessation, even in small small bits, and to get to the point where that you can see that is as an enjoyable thing, to actually experience some appreciation, some happiness of doing this practice. Then if that's established, then you know, every obstacle is not as bad as it could seems um, previously when you begin practicing it seems like everything seems very big and difficult to overcome if you train yourself develop some right view right understanding this ability to look back at experience using four noble truths using mindfulness using wise reflection a lot of the big obstacles start to shrink because the sense of self forms around them starts to shrink So it's more pleasant, more relaxed to practice the longer you go on. We don't know how long it takes till the end of the practice till we experience the final niroda, final realization. But that doesn't really matter if you've got the techniques right, the understanding correct. You just keep applying it and you gradually can become more confident that what you're doing is good.
wholesome, correct. It gives you some kind of refuge inside, especially nowadays when the world is such a complex, confused place. So much stress in people's minds, so much conflict between people, even though materially we're well off. Mentally we're still as confused as ever. If you have some kind of practice that gives you direction how to deal with it all, it's only going to be a source of inner peace, inner happiness. That can only come by applying these teachings. Learning to live in a peaceful, simple way. Reflecting on the teaching is drawing them inside and then comparing your own experience and looking at it. Sometimes we have to look at things from different angles. On the outside you're just a basic sealer and vinaya. Sometimes as we deal with the world we have to look at things from different angles, see things from other people's point of view, see things, the small picture, the big picture, the short-term picture, the long-term picture. You have to learn to look at things, reflect on things, and then inside also, how we attach. Internally it's always coming back to this, this basic relationship between mind and body. We're seeing how the mind takes, takes this form as self and takes ownership of it. As long as we have that identification, ownership of the body, you're always going to be creating suffering. It's always going to be stimulating craving, attachment, suffering. The more we can reflect on the 32 parts, go through them, go through to their basic building blocks, the four elements. Keep bringing awareness back to that, you know, that silent awareness, observing, looking, observing from the inside out. Air of the head, air of the body, nails, teeth, skin, bones, bone marrow, flesh, sinews, heart, lungs, liver, spleen kidneys, just keep going through, keep coming back and looking at the way this world is built up, earth, air, fire, water, and keep quietening the mind and breaking through all the verbalization and the mental chatter we have about everything we know and get involved with in life and just come back to the 32 parts, four elements. The more we do that, the more the mind tires of the mental chatter and all the complications that craving attachment bring. All the mood swings, the emotions, the ups and downs of the emotions. The lack of peace in everything. When we're working on, when the mind is caught into just superficial reality and assumptions about everything very tiring, ever, ever more things for the mind to get involved with and distracted by on that level. There's always more to know about the world and get involved with, caught up in. 
when we go in the other direction is can bring the mind back to one pointedness, peace, and then investigate this body. It goes in the other way, the mind gets tired of a lot of superficial attachment. this uh, training to develop these qualities, mindfulness and investigation of the Dhamma with the understanding the mind pulls back from attachments or breaks through attachments, delusions. gives us more inner peace, inner harmony. Our mind's less concerned about the ups and downs of the world, and the problems of the world, creating less problems out of the world. Even though we live in the world and we're involved with it, involved with other people, with nature, with the things around us. The mind doesn't have to create suffering out of all that. You can see things more as the way they are, without adding on the more we understand that internally then the more that we can apply that as we get in, involved with the world, as we live in the world and apply the Dhamma that we've learned internally and then we apply it outside and we can give something back to the world give the world some some peace, some wisdom those things that are constantly lacking So I'll leave you with those words for your reflection tonight.